Hey, welcome. So glad you're joining us this weekend. Uh, wherever you're watching this, home, maybe you listen to it in the car. I'm Dan, I'm one of the pastors here. Just love the fact you're kind of checking things out. Uh, it's good to be back with you. If you're somebody who's been following, uh, I've been away a, a few weeks and I've enjoyed the teaching from some of the other guys. And uh, my family, or my wife and I in particular, went to Louisiana, visited my son, and then on the way home, uh, we took a flight home and we sat between two ladies that apparently had COVID. And so we were kind of laid up for a while, but man, it's good to be back. and. Uh, Good to be back in this series. The uh, series is Jesus Is. So if you have a Bible, grab a Bible, cup of coffee, get a donut, something like that, and uh, go to John 8. We're going to be there today, John 8. I was reflecting on a story that I've read over and over again. 19th century, greatest tightrope walker's name was Charles Blondin. He was the first to cross the span of the Niagara Falls. And uh, when he first did that, I think it was June 1853, 25,000 people present to watch him without any kind of safety equipment, no net, cross a tightrope across Niagara Falls. And they were cheering him on and they were mesmerized and they were blown away as he walked across and he got to the Canadian side. And then he looked at the crowd on that side. He said, I'm going to do it again. And he walked back across. And then after he did that, he grabbed a wheelbarrow and he took that wheelbarrow and he filled it with stones and rocks. And he went back across and back across. And people are just like, man, you're incredible. And then he asked the crowd this infamous question. He looked at them and he said this, how many of you guys think that I could carry a human being in this wheelbarrow across this tightrope. And everybody raised their hands. Everybody said, I believe you could do that. I believe that you're able. I believe you are so incredible. I believe. And at that moment, Charles Blondin looked at a man in the crowd and he said, then hop in. <laughs> I love that. Question, would you have hopped in? Yeah, because that is when belief is tested. Belief is not just a declaration, it's a demonstration. And that's what the whole point of that story is. It's like, I believe, I'm cheering you on. And yet the rubber meets the road, like get in the wheelbarrow. Why do I tell you that? Because we live in a time and a moment when lots of people are cheering for Jesus. They're saying that they identify with Jesus, but Jesus is looking for more than a declaration of belief from you and I. He's looking for a declaration for sure, but he's looking for a declaration that's accompanied by a demonstration of belief. In fact, it's why John wrote his gospel. Look at what it says at the end of John's gospel in John chapter 20. It says this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written. So I did this so that you may say it out loud. You may what? Believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have life in his name. It's the whole reason John wrote his book. He organized his book, the book of John, the Gospel of John is organized around seven signs Jesus did, seven miraculous signs. And then also it's organized around these seven I am statements that Jesus made. And the whole purpose that John wrote it, organized around these seven signs and seven statements, was so that you and I would believe, so that we would hop in the wheelbarrow, so to speak, and trust that Jesus could take us exactly where he says he could take us. 
It's surrounding these I am statements that we have been looking at. You ever had somebody make the statement, I am? Some of you are maybe old enough that you remember this guy, Muhammad Ali, I am the greatest, remember? There's something about that statement, I am the greatest, that kind of is definitive and it calls for a decision. I am the greatest, not I am great, I am the greatest. Uh, We have a pastor here who kind of makes this kind of statement occasionally, and his statement is simply this, I am the best-looking pastor. Some of you might even know him. His name's Bob Combs, right? And uh, one time he, uh, when I was pastoring in Indiana, I didn't really know him extremely well, and he called our church office, and it just so happened that day my mom was volunteering in the church office. And he said, who can I ask his calling? And he said, "I tell him the best looking pastor in the country is calling. And my mom took offense to that. And she said, not knowing, she said, oh, no, you're not. <laughs> yeah, but there's something about when somebody makes that kind of statement that it is definitive, that it somehow is defining uh, the moment. Jesus today is going to say, I am the light of the world. He's already made some hair-raising, mic-dropping statements. We've already looked at them. I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection and the life. But today we're going to look at, I'm the light of the world. You probably have heard of this one, right? Uh, He makes this statement, you have your Bibles open in John chapter 8, when he says, Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am, say it with me, the light of the world world. I heard you. And whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It might be one of the most popular statements, and we can probably begin to deduce what he means by that. Uh, Many of you have watched Star Wars, so you have light over darkness, right? It's this good versus evil. That's kind of what the whole uh, metaphor means. Uh, the, the, the metaphor of light can mean bringing understanding where there's ignorance. Like, so all of a sudden it's the light of knowledge, the light of understanding. It can kind of refer to a secret being exposed, right? Uh, it certainly can refer to that. And probably if we just kind of went with what we already know in our modern day mind, we would probably come close to what Jesus meant when he said, I am the light of the world. But if we just did this, We might get close, but we would miss an awful lot if we didn't dig underneath the surface a little bit to see what did Jesus mean when he said this? And why was it so significant? And why did it cause such a stir? At first blush, it appears this statement is made in a benign way in isolation. Here's what I mean. It almost appears like he's just just saying it. Like, it's not really connected to a story. It's not connected to a sign. It's not connected to anything. And here's what I mean by that. When Jesus said, I am the bread of life, he said that after he fed about 25,000 people from a little boy's lunch. Like, that's kind of a big deal. It's connected to that. Uh, when Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, he said that at the grave of a guy who had been dead for four days, that he's going to raise back to life. Like, There's something connected to it. It looks like he's just kind of standing up and saying, I'm the light of the world. Like it's not connected to anything. But the fact of the matter is, when you look a little closer, this statement, I want you to get this, this statement is made in the middle of a celebration that gives this statement texture. It's connected to a story that gives it illustration. And it also is connected to a sign that gives it a visual application. It's fascinating. I think um, when you take a glance at this, that you begin to see the texture of what Jesus meant. 
And you would also begin to see why it was so controversial. Let's start here. Let's start with the idea of when Jesus made this statement. Because he's going to drop this line at a very significant time. Look back in your Bibles one chapter, and we're going to get the time. When did Jesus say, I'm the light of the world, right? He said, after this, he went around Galilee. He didn't want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders, so his poll numbers are kind of shaky. Uh, They were looking for a way to kill him. That's not good, right? His poll numbers are shaky, right? People are a little divided on what they think about Jesus. But when the Jewish, say that out loud, festival of tabernacles was near. Jesus is going to make this statement right in this celebration called the Festival of Tabernacles, or you could call it the Festival of Tents, the Feast of Tents, that Jerusalem at this time would have been teeming with people. They would have been gathering there to celebrate this festival. And the way they would have celebrated would have been directly connected with what they were celebrating. That makes sense to us, right? Uh, We shoot fireworks off 4th of July. It's because of what John Adams said. This holiday should be celebrated, the declaring our independence with the shooting of rockets and fireworks, right? I mean, we have certain things that like at Thanksgiving, we have turkey and, right? At Christmas, there's trees and there's gifts. Like there's ways we celebrate that are directly connected to what we're celebrating. The same is true here. This festival of tabernacles would have been in the fall, right? And, and, and it would have been a very festive time. Lots of people gathered in Jerusalem, and they would have been celebrating God delivering them. So in their history, God delivering them from slavery in Egypt and leading them through the wilderness, providing for them as he led them to the promised land. Here's what would have happened. People at the festival of tabernacles would have come to Jerusalem, and they would have lived in tabernacles or tents or temporary shelters for that week. It would have represented their 40-year wandering in the wilderness. They were tent camping. This was their camping week. There was no RVs in Jerusalem. And how many of you guys are tent campers? You like to tent camp? That's what they're doing. And it would have been their way to remember that for 40 years, their forefathers were led by God through the wilderness. Uh, the priests would have every day gone to this pool, the pool of Siloam, and they would have poured, gotten some water from there, and they would pour that water beside the altar. And it would have reminded them of how God provided their forefathers with water from a rock. Very high energy. So, so here, get, get the picture. The place is teeming with people. They are everywhere. Celebrating the deliverance from Egypt the provision of God, and the way God led them in the wilderness. And it's into that setting that that Jesus makes this statement. And then look where it says he makes it. Go back to chapter 8. He spoke these words, I am the light of the world, while teaching, look at this, in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. That doesn't mean very much when we just read that in our English. We're like, oh, I don't know, okay, he was in church. It's kind of, I don't know, the vestibule maybe. I don't know. Where was he? Right? It says that he was in the place where the offerings were put. That is the place called the court of women. Now, Jesus is standing where there would have been the most people gathered. They would have been giving their offerings. It was called the court of women. 
uh, we have a very, very uh, kind of simple diagram to show you the temple, the Holy of Holies, the court of priests. All of a sudden you have the altar, the court of Israel and outside, right, was the court of women. And Jesus would have been in that area. He wanted to make this statement where the most people would have been mingling. But there's something else about this court of women that makes this statement, I am the light of the world, pop. That in this court, there would have been candelabras. And those candelabras would be lit every night around the court of women. And historians say that these candelabras literally lit not just the whole temple, but the whole city, that you could see the light for miles. Here's a picture of it. And it all of a sudden, Jesus, can you imagine him standing underneath of these candelabras that burnt all night, that illuminated the temple? And he says, I am the light of the world. They lit these candelabras on purpose because it reminded them of 40 years in the wilderness. God expressed his presence and guided them. Do you know how he did it for 40 years in the wilderness? By a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Look at what it says. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud, Exodus 13, to guide them on their way. By night in a pillar a fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. Do not miss what he's saying. He's standing underneath of the candelabra that represents the presence of God leading their forefathers through the wilderness. And he is saying, I am the light of the world. He's saying, I am the light that the presence of God that was in the pillar of the cloud, the pillar of the fire is now here. Earlier in John, John says this, the word Jesus became flesh and dwelt. That word is tabernacled. So here at the festival of tabernacles is God who literally has pitched his tent among these people. In John 7, he says this in the middle of this tabernacle of, or this festival of tabernacles, when the priest would have been pouring the water, he says this, he stood and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. It's fascinating. Now underneath these candelabras, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Not just a light, I am the light of the world. Not just for the Jews, but for the world. It's with this backdrop that Jesus made this statement and immediately the people listening would have known the weight of his words. They knew that earlier the prophet or preacher Isaiah, you've heard this at Christmas time, said this, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Jesus is standing underneath this candelabra that represents the presence of God leading the Israelites through the wilderness. And he says, I am the light of the world. 
I am the wonderful counselor. I am the mighty God. I am the everlasting father. I am the light that has come into the darkness. Isaiah 42 says this, and you'll be a light to guide the nations. You'll open up the eyes of the blind. You will free the captives from prison, releasing those who sit in dark dungeons. You see, in the middle of this festival teeming with people, in the place where the candelabras would have been, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He's saying, I am the exact representation and the perfect explanation of God. I am the promised Messiah who would bring light into the darkness. I am God pitching his tent among you. Which is why it says this. This is confusing unless you understand this. Yet no one seized him. Well, why would they seize him? Because they knew the weight of his words. He was saying, I am none other than God in the flesh. Because his hour had not yet come. Why would he say that? Because you and I cannot be on the fence about Jesus. When you understand the magnitude of all that he says in these I am statements, you either believe or you don't. It's not simply cheer Jesus on. You either jump in the wheelbarrow of belief or you don't. Jesus never really gives us another option. You either believe I am who I say I am, that I can do what I say I can do, or you don't. So if Jesus is the light of the world, what does that mean? Write these things down. First, it means this. I am the only one who can deliver you from the dark slavery of your sin. That's what it means. It means I'm the only one who can deliver you from the dark slavery of your sin. Basically, Jesus is saying, apart from him, you and I are living our life in the dark. Did you know that? That's what he's saying. Or like Isaiah said, it, you are living in a dark dungeon. Some of you know that. You feel that right now. And he's saying only Jesus, listen close guys, only Jesus can deliver you from the dark dungeon of your sin. Only Jesus can deliver you from the deep bondage of your guilt. Only Jesus can deliver you from the cell of your shame, the captivity of your sin. And just as the light of God led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt and being imprisoned, so it is that the light of the world, Jesus, delivers you and I from the darkness and the prison of our sin. This is the story we see unfolding. Jesus is the light of the world, and he is the light of the world that reveals our deep bondage and delivers us from it. Jesus turns the light of truth on our situation, and when he does, it's not always something that people like to hear. Here's what it says in John 8, a little further down. Look at it with me. He looks at them, imagine this. And he says, I told you, you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am he. You will indeed die in your sins. Verse 31, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we're Abraham's descendants. We've never been slaves. What do you mean? We say we didn't know their history here, right? How can you say that we'll be set free? Jesus said this. You ought to remember this. Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins, raise your hand if you've ever sinned. Just raise your hand. Come on. You got your hand up? Raise your hand. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Everyone. Now, slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son, that's Jesus, sets you free, you'll be free indeed. We are not just people who sin occasionally. We are slaves to sin. 
Sin is not just an action we do, it is a power that overcomes us. We are not occasional mistakers, we are slaves to our sin and our sinful nature. I don't know what is wrong with me until I come into the light and spiritually speaking, I don't know the truth about me till I come to the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world and he exposes what's wrong. He reveals the truth about my situation. And when I come to Jesus, he reveals the darkness, the, 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 the slavery of my sin, the bondage of my guilt. He, he, he exposes the cell of shame that I live in. You and I are slaves to sin. The Bible uses this, this verbiage that we're in bondage to our sin. I don't probably need to convince you of that, but in case I do, that, that we all have chains in our life. There's sin, and they, they become these chains. For probably every last one of us, there's the chain link of pride that shows up over and over again. That's why you get so defensive when somebody has the least bit of criticism. That's why you become so arrogant. That's why you need to be the top dog. A lot of us, we, we, we have the chain link of pride that just follows us. For a lot of us, the chain link of envy and jealousy because we live constantly looking at how other people are getting ahead and we can't seem to get ahead and they seem to get more and more and we seem to get less and less and it creates this envy in us and this jealousy in us that leads to a... Uh, a greed and some of us just kind of add the, the chain link of, of greed because what we have is never enough and we're never satisfied and some of you know exactly and these these things begin to build on each other for some of us it's the chain link of anger that just gets added and we can't seem to break the bonds of it and we continually step on ourselves with our anger and our kids we have a short fuse and our wife gets the worst side of us and the people at work that's how we're known for some of us, it's, it's the chain link of just sexual thoughts that, that man, we, we can't stop going to those sites and we can't seem to get this out of our mind and we have these, the, these habits that we can't break sexually. For some of us, it's, it's maybe we just add the chain link of, of idolatry that we put good things in the place of ultimate things and all of a sudden, maybe it's our kids become our idol, or maybe it's money or position or success. And all of a sudden, we begin building this chain link. For some of us, it's the love of money. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. And as much as we don't want to, it's like, man, we just find ourselves just consumed. We got to get more and more and more, and we want more and more stuff. And all of a sudden, these chains begin to wrap themselves around us. For some of us, it's the, the chain link of bitterness and hatred because we can't forgive. Like, we just can't forgive those people. And so it's, it, what it's done is it's changed us. And we just, we live in this prison, this, these shackles of bitterness and resentment over and over again. For some of us, it's, it's the chain link of selfishness. It's like, I like to be thinking, but I'm always the first person that I think about. I'm always the person that I'm worried about. For some of us, it's the chain link of self-righteousness. <laughs> that somewhere along the way, we just 
see ourselves as better than everybody else. And, and what happens over time is we just add these chains to other chains that are part of our life and they get all wrapped around and we find ourselves all tangled up in these chains of sin. And we find ourselves in captivity. That, that's, that's what he's saying. He's saying we are slaves to sin. Like we are powerless because we have a sin nature. And when the light of the world comes, he exposes the problem. But he doesn't just expose the problem. The same light that exposes our problem, that exposes our chain, also provides the exit. That light always hurts before it heals. That light reveals, but then it rescues. You see, that's why a lot of us don't come into the light. Because we think that when we come into the light, maybe we start getting serious about Jesus, we'll just be embarrassed, hurt, condemned, ostracized. And yet Jesus says, no, it begins by coming into the light to be helped. It's come into the light to be saved and not condemned. And the reason I know that is because Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And in your Bibles, there's a fascinating story right before he says that. I realize in a lot of your Bibles, it's in italics and... That's simply because the earliest manuscripts don't necessarily have this. So scholars have added it. Most scholars do not question the authenticity of the event, but where it fits is something that is in question. And yet I think it illustrates so well what Jesus is saying. In John chapter 8, there's this interesting story where all of a sudden the religious leaders drag a woman out of bed in an adulterous relationship and they drag her right in front of Jesus. Let the color and the scene become real to you. They drug her out in the act, and they throw her in front of Jesus. They expose her sin, and they have exposed her. And her secret is now out of the shadows, and it literally is in the light. And it was in the light for all to see, and they wanted Jesus to respond. And they all had their stones already in their hands. You read the story. Because that's what the punishment would have been. Stoning for adultery. They asked Jesus, what do you think we ought to do? She was just in bed with somebody who was not her husband. And they had their stones ready. If you read the story, I love it. Jesus starts to, he kneels down and he begins to write. I, I have no idea what he's writing. A lot of people have ideas about what he wrote. I, I have no idea. But I love the fact he just knelt and then Jesus, the light of the world, stands up. And you know what he says? He says, let the one of you who is without sin be the first to cast a stone. All of a sudden the lights came on. You see what I mean? All of a sudden the lights came on. You see, they thought they were dragging this woman out of the dark shadows of her sin, exposing it for all to see. And yet in the presence of the light of the world the lights came on and those who were living in the shadow of their self-righteousness, the lights came on. And one by one, from oldest to youngest, you could hear the sound of stones dropping till the only one who is left is the woman, the woman who has been embarrassed, the woman who has been exposed, the woman who has been violently drugged in front of Jesus. It's just her and Jesus. And there she lays in the ground in front of the light of the world. And Jesus, the light of the world, says to her, where are your accusers? 
she says they left. And over there is their pile of stones. And Jesus, the light of the world, says, I, the light of the world, will reveal your sin. He never condones or says her sin was okay. And he says, go and sin no more. How could he say that? How could the light of the world say that to her? The only way he could say that to her is what's found in John 8. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. But Jesus, verse 28, said this, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. Listen, friends, please hear what I'm saying. Jesus, the light of the world, would be lifted up on a cross, enveloped in darkness, so that all of us who live in darkness could come to him, the light of the world, and our sin certainly would be exposed, but we would come to him, the one who was lifted up in darkness, and we would be lifted out of our darkness when we place our faith and trust in him into the freedom. The shackles are gone into the freedom. He broke the chains. He is the light that reveals the truth. He is the light that rescues with grace. He is the light that is the light of the world. He's the only one that can deliver you from the dungeon of darkness you find yourself in. The truth is, sometimes the light repels people. All the religious leaders left and went back into the shadows of the darkness of their self-righteousness. You see, that's the difference between religion and a relationship with Jesus. Religion likes to turn the lights of condemnation on others where the gospel turns to the light of the world and finds grace and mercy and freedom. Here's the deal. You cannot be neutral about Jesus. Either you step into the light and let him reveal the truth and then rescue you with his grace or that light will repel you and you'll go back to the shadows of wherever it is you find yourself today. You cannot be neutral about the light of the world. There's something else interesting. We got to look at this before we finish. Let's go back to John 8. I am the light of the world. Whoever, say the word out loud, follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That's interesting. There's some things I got to show you. That word follows is a present active participle. Woo, got my English class in for the day, right? Anybody good in English? I was not. But can I tell you what that means? That the way you could translate that is whoever is following me. Like it is an active action, right? It's not like whoever follows me at a time and place, but whoever is following, it's continuous, it's continual. It is active. He's saying whoever's following me will have the light of life. There's several Greek words that you can translate life. Bios, biology, all of that. But this word is zoe, zoe, and it means abundant life. What Jesus is trying to say, and I want you to write this down, is simply this, that he is the only one who can lead us into real freedom, the real freedom that we have with this abundant life that he gives. He's going to make the case. He is the light of the world and the only one that can deliver us from the bondage of our sin. But he is the light of the world, and he and he alone is the only one that can lead us out of the blindness of our religion. Religion tries to pass for light. 
And it at best is fake light. It at best is manufactured light. And there's this interesting story, this interesting thing that happens that creates quite a stir in the temple. And the thing that happens is found in the next chapter, John chapter 9. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked, Jesus, who sinned? Rabbi, this man or his parents, that he was born blind. That's the way religion thinks. Somebody must have did something wrong because God rewards you if you're good and he, right? And he strikes you blind if you're bad. Neither, he says, this man nor his parents sinned, but this happens so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is his day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And then you read the story. Jesus comes to the man. He spits on the ground. It's kind of weird, right? He makes a mud pie. He puts on the guy's eyes. And then he says to the guy, if you believe I am who I am, go wash in the pool of Siloam. We talked about that earlier. Like if you truly believe, you'll get in the wheelbarrow and you'll follow. You'll, you, you'll, you'll believe me, not just a declaration, but a demonstration. And the blind guy who had never seen, the blind guy with spit-filled mud on his eyes, the blind guy goes to the pool and washes and he sees. And you read the story. When all of a sudden this blind guy can see, people are like, I don't know. He looks like him, but uh, could it be? Uh, maybe it's a doppelganger. I don't know. <laughs> They call his parents and like, yeah, that's our kid. He was blind, I promise you. Well, they want to demand that how did he get his sight? And the man keeps saying, I don't know, this man. And he keeps pointing to Jesus. And they keep saying there's no way. The religious leaders keep saying there's no way. And, and, and even if he did do it, he's an evil person because he did it on the Sabbath. That's what they're focused on. And the man says, all I know is I was blind, but now I can see. Because the light of the world crossed my path. Jesus says, I am the light that will deliver you from darkness and I am the light that will guard you into, guide you into an abundant life. Jesus says, I am the light and that, that is on the move and I am inviting you to follow me, to walk, to experience life, to jump in the wheelbarrow of faith. He says, Here's what happens. Those who follow continue to walk in me. Experience this life. How in the world do you and I walk in the light? Get your pens ready and we're done. I think there's five, four or five words that I would write down. They all begin with the letter C. We do it continual. Continual. It's an everyday decision to say yes to Jesus, to listen to Jesus, to obey Jesus, to look for Jesus, to talk to Jesus. It is a continual walking with Jesus, following Jesus. Some of us, man, I don't know all of your stories. Some of us have stopped listening to the one who is the light of the world. And we've started listening to the world now, Some of us have stopped walking. We've stopped moving. Jesus says, I am the light. To walk in the light means to follow me. Some of us, listen, I, God bless you, but some of us, uh, we use, use, maybe you use this phrase, I'm set in my ways. You know what it means to be set in your ways? It means you stop moving. You stopped allowing Jesus to call you out of the ways you're set in into his way. 
I love what 1 John chapter 2 says. Let me just read it for you. It says, we know that we've come to know Jesus if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, cheer for him, yay, Jesus, but doesn't do what he commands is a liar. The truth isn't in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we're in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live or walk as Jesus walked, live as Jesus lived. Continue every day. Jesus says, follow me, come with me, partner with me, do what I'm doing. And some of us, if we're honest, are not walking in the light because we stopped, we got tired, we got discouraged, we got disgruntled, we got depressed, we got set in our ways. It's continual. It's not just continual, but it's consistent. Here's what I mean by that. There are some of us that walk in the light sometimes. But if we're honest, there's shadow sides to us. Everything looks great on the outside. We keep the darkness hidden. We have our secret sins. We have our secret thoughts. It becomes easy to ignore Jesus when it's too hard, when it's inconvenient, when it's complicated. So I decided to go my own way. I decided to follow my own path. I want to follow my heart, the light of my own heart. The Bible says my heart is deceptive and wicked. I, I want to do what's maybe culturally acceptable. The Bible says that there are many things in our culture that would, be a, that would go the direct opposite way of the light of the world. Some of us, it's about being consistent. I love what 1 John chapter 2 says. Listen to this. He says, anyone who claims to be in the light, listen, but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. What he's saying is it's consistent. I can't say I love God, but I hate them. I hate them. I can't say I love God, but, but, but those Christians who vote that way, but those people who live in that demographic, but those people from that racial community, but those people who, right? He says, it's, can anyone who claims to be in the light hates his brother is still in darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there's nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the dark. They don't know where they're going because the darkness has blinded them. It's consistent. It's like, I can't say I love God and hate my brother. I think not only that, but it's compelling. It's compelling. What I mean by that is this, is that as people walking in the light, Jesus said this, now you are the light of the world. You are not the big L light of the world. Jesus is that. But we become these lights that reflect the light of the world, that our lives become this attractive reflection of Jesus. That our... Uh, Matthew chapter 5, let your light so shine before men that they may see your life, your good works, and give glory to your Father in heaven, that somehow my life turns the lights bright on him. Not my Facebook posts, not my tweets, not my positions, not my opinions, but a life that looks like Jesus that has the rhythms of Jesus, that has the habits of Jesus, that has the values of Jesus, that has the spirit of Jesus, that has the mindset of Jesus, that every thought is taken captive to Jesus and is compelling. It's a compelling light. 
and it compels people. Uh, in the book of Titus, it says this, live in such a way that you make the gospel this attractive, compelling message for people. And, and then I think maybe a, another word that we could put up there is the word courageous. Because the fact of the matter is sometimes it's about living courageously. In John chapter 3, it says this. This is the verdict. Listen to this. The light has come into the world. Ready? But people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be plainly seen what they have done has been done in the sight of God. What he's saying is that sometimes walking in the light is just being courageous. That, that, that I don't need to keep making a point with my declarations, but I can make a difference with my demonstration, with a life that follows Jesus. And sometimes that takes courage. Sometimes that's not always going to be accepted. I remember this is a really trite little example when I worked at a book factory in Roaring Spring, Pennsylvania. My dad, when he raised me, raised me to be a, a really hard worker. He said, you need to work from the time you punch in to the time the clock hits quitting time. And he said, you work hard the whole time. I, I appreciate that about my father. I, I learned to be a hard worker. So I went, my first job, second shift, and my job was to put round corners on notebooks. And they would bring me a pallet, and I would do the pallet, and then I had to pull it away, they'd bring me another one. And I don't know how many I did that first night, maybe 15 or 16, and I was dripping with sweat. And time came for us to punch out. 11 o'clock that night, and everybody was already by the time clock. Maybe some of you have seen that, know about that. And I got there late, and, and not a single person would talk to me or, or, or look at me. I did the same thing the next night and went to the time clock and went to punch out and the supervisor pulled me aside. I was dripping with sweat. I think I had done 15, 16 pallets and I kept trying to break my record. Not a soul would talk to me or look at me. He pulled me aside and he said, do you know why they won't talk to you? I was just right out of high school. I'm like, I have no idea. He said, it's because you're working too hard. He said, they get paid based on how many pieces they do, and when you do that many, it messes up their piece rate. And they have found a way to not have to work as hard. I remember thinking to myself, that's wild. These people don't like me because I'm working hard. You see, the fact of the matter is, walking with Jesus sometimes means that you're not going to get in the gossip circle at work. It means that you're not going to cheat on your taxes over here because everybody else is doing it. That you're going to actually claim all your tips. That you're actually going to... That, that, and you know something? Some of you are like, that's crazy. That's stupid. It's going to make them feel uncomfortable because they want somebody that's going to make them feel comfortable in their... Right? Whatever they're doing. And sometimes it's just going to be the courageous, I'm going to follow Jesus. I don't need to point a finger in their face. I don't need to make a point on Facebook or, 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 or Instagram. But I can make a difference. And I'm going to follow Jesus. I am the light of the world. I'm the only one that can deliver you from the bondage of your sin. And I'm the only one that can lead you to freedom. To freedom. The freedom that comes with the abundant life that Jesus offers. Can I ask you this? Have you ever said yes to Jesus? No, I'm serious. 
If not, why not right now bow your head and say, Jesus, this day, this moment, I want to confess you as Savior, the only one who can save me from my sin, and Lord, the only one who can lead me. I believe that you are the Savior. I believe that you are the Lord, and I'm committing my life to you. I'm jumping in the wheelbarrow. Man, if you prayed that prayer right now with me, I'd love for you to email me and let me know that. Some of you would say you've said yes to Jesus, but somewhere along the way you stopped moving. Somewhere along the way you got inconsistent. Somewhere along the way in his call right now, I am the light of the world. Those who follow me will continue to walk in the light and experience the light of life, abundant life. Is that your experience? I hope it is. God, I love you. I am so thankful for Jesus the light of the world. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.